Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And hello from uh, our wonderful offices here in Los Angeles where we have just gotten through uh, the release of all the fall schedules for all the major broadcast networks. Lots of exciting stuff in the world. So exciting, Liz. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to the new CBS dramas. <laughs> I mean... What was what was it's? I think um, ABC is the one that has Code Black, correct? Right. That is the most dramatic of the new dramas. Yes. I'll give them that. At least trailer wise. Again. Yes. Neither. How many dead kids are there in Code Black? Like, I mean, more than I would have suspected. More than yeah. I mean, so we're talking about shows that, of course, you haven't maybe even heard of yet. That you know, we have barely gotten a glimpse of. You know, by barely a glimpse, I mean uh, the networks have released like. Trailers ranging from two minutes to like seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, eight, seven, yeah. eight, seven or eight minutes for all these shows that you know, for the benefit of advertisers to figure out whether or not they want to buy advertising on said shows, but also for our benefit to judge them in advance, way in advance, in fact, of their actual release. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a fun it was a fun little thing to do this week to kind of watch the trailers and just you know grade their their pitches to the advertisers. And frankly, I would have thought. If I was ABC, maybe don't pitch a bunch of dead children to your advertising group for a drama. I mean, it's it's it, it was effective. Yes, the show looks dark and gritty, and I mean that CW show, the the containment one, the containment uh, looks yeah. like Contagion. Yes, also very dark and gritty. So I mean, there's something going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think what was really interesting was the ongoing continue the ongoing continuation of what has become a more and more important force on television in the last several years, which is good old-fashioned superhero dramas. Superhero action, superhero comedy, superhero what-have-you, all in hour-long formats on your televisions. Superhero rom-coms now, it seems like, with the new Supergirl trailer. Yeah. So that'll be... Yeah, well, interesting. I mean, I've said I said this before on the site, but I don't know if you've if you've never had the pleasure of bar- finding some bootleg copy of the David E. Kelly written Wonder Woman pilot starring Tyra from Friday Night Lights. I mean, don't do it because it's awful. It's an awful hour of television, but also do it because it's amazingly bad. Well, do it because it's Tyra from Friday Night Lights. Why wouldn't you watch anything she's in? And I saw GI Joe Retaliation. <laughs> Ben, we've been over this. G.I. Joe Retaliation is a fine, fine film. It's the greatest love story of our time. All right, all right. Good for Dwayne. Dwayne and Chan. Yeah, Chan too, but he... We know. We know. It's, it's, it's hard to talk about. Yes, yeah. I know. But, but anyways, the point is that it's it's it, that, that the David E. Kelly Wonder Woman pilot is notable for trying to combine rom com. I'm a single girl trying to make it in the big city elements with I'm an incredibly super powered heroine who will actually literally break necks if necessary. So unfortunately, Supergirl seems like a much better fit for the kind of rom com approach as we saw in the trailer, and the lead looks great, and it seems really charming. Yeah, I'll give him credit for having having a good lead actress and presenting a story that is at least relatable. Like at least it's it doesn't it doesn't feel as strange and out there as a lot of these new comic book superhero TV shows do. 
Which leads us nicely into the other insanity of DC's Legends of Tomorrow trailer. Oh my goodness. Which I know you loved, and it was a perfect illustration of the differences between us when it comes to like what gets us excited in a trailer, and frankly, just when it comes to superheroes in general. I mean, that trailer was just strange. Like, I, there's so much going on in that in that five minute teaser that I I mean, it was it wasn't that hard to keep track of, but there was just there was just a lot. There's time travel. There's it's like very, sixteen superheroes. It's uh, very simple. There are all these characters who've been supporting roles on other on these other DC shows on the CW, and they're going to form a super team that has to go into the future to fight an immortal man. Um, with their superpowers. Did I mention that Captain Cold has a, ca- a cold gun? Yeah, yep. Well, you didn't mention it, but I saw it in the trailer. And I mean, it honestly just felt to me like we'd reached some sort of peak in this superhero insanity. Because, I mean, the Avengers just came out. The second Avengers just came out. Right. Then there's this CW TV show with a former, with an actor who formerly played Superman now playing the Atom. At the Atom in a group of people who look like a miniature version of the Avengers, like at least in importance or scale. One or... of them is Hot Girl. They have two girls on their superhero team. I mean, I'm not complaining about the diversity and, you know, good for Hot Girl. I hope she's awesome. But, I mean, it just, are we, are we getting ready to jump the shark? Are we about to do so? Well, what's hilarious to me, by the way, is... The commentary I've seen most most often surrounding Legends of Tomorrow since it's been announced is the CW has been very frank about yeah of course it's going to cross over with uh, the Flash and Arrow which has always that's always been kind of a part of their plan and all those characters were introduced on the Flash or Arrow at some point or another that's not the question the question is why isn't Supergirl crossing over too and the reason Supergirl's not crossing over is that it is on this it is on CBS it is and for right now at least CBS is very much taking ownership over it and letting it be its own show in its own universe. Which is what DC Entertainment likes to do because they're averse to film money, like yeah. good filmmaking. I mean, I can't speak to Gotham the way you can because I haven't seen as many episodes, but Gotham is very much in its own little playpen as well. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, everything is in its own playpen, as you put it. I mean, even the stuff on the CW is all on the CW. None of that is going to cross over into films. None of that is going to have any sort of linkage to what happens in Batman versus Superman, or whatever the hell they decide to do with these properties now. They're they're all doing their own thing, and, and it's, it's frustrating from a person who likes DC characters to see them just throw away money like this. But at the same time, it's also just more interesting to focus on what it means for television. Like, mm-hmm. as a television viewer, this isn't necessarily something new. Like, we've like, yeah. th- we've seen these before. They've had superhero shows. But it is something that is definitely gaining popularity. Well, where do you see... Because I, mean, I feel like like everything is in TV is cyclical to some extent. That's a, not an easy word to say sometimes. No. Uh, but everything has a cycle to it. When do you, where do you pinpoint like the current cycle uh, coming into play? Well, as I did very little research to prepare for this podcast. We might have looked at Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, in doing that research to try to answer that question, just for my own satisfaction, I basically came back to Smallville. And there's been plenty of superhero shows before that. We talked about Lois and Clark and the Adventures of Superman being one. 
Um, there's, there's obviously plenty of other ones. There's a lot of animated superhero oh, shows of anim- out there. I mean, animation was basically carrying the superhero torch on screen for television for a good solid decade or two. And it still has the best superhero television show ever in Batman the Animated Series. Tied maybe only with Justice League and only because Justice League is a continuation of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, but that's... See, I'm always an originator. I give credit to the first one. Like, with that's The Godfather fair. and The Godfather 2, I give it to The Godfather because it came first. Now, but, in The Godfather, does Hot Girl have a hammer with which she hits everything? Liz, you know the answer to that is yes. Okay, great. But no, getting back to the to the new trend, to the new uh, chapter, as you will, of, of this of this section or whatever we're calling it, Smallville seemed to kick things off. It was a long running CW series, eleven seasons, eleven long seasons of twenty two episodes apiece, forty two minutes per episode, uh, and it was all about uh, Clark Kent. Being Superman, right? And when that not ended, well becoming Superman. well becoming Superman, of course we we got to see him in his cape and tights at some point, I'm sure. I think I believe I believe you get one shot at it at, of it at the very very end in the series finale. See, I was told by a very reliable source who loves this show, who will remain nameless, that we did see him in that, but she may have just been trying to convince me to watch it. I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure it happens in the series finale, but God, you all, all you trick. have to do you, all you have to do is watch 219 episodes of television. It's probably worth it. I'll I'll discuss it with her later. Um, well, uh, I think the, the thing I will mention is that I mean Smallville's mandate from the very beginning, and I think this is part of why especially when it started in the mid-2000s, it was a pretty sustainable show for a network like the WB slash CW, which didn't have a ton of money to throw at television, and in fact still does not have a ton of money to throw at television. Uh, The fact was, their mandate from the very beginning was no tights, no flights, and it was always meant to be a much more grounded, like, hey, Superman's a teenager dealing with teenager stuff. Apparently high, school, high schools are easier to shoot than the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, we do, they do eventually go to the Fortress of Solitude on that show. I know more about Smallville than I think I did. <laughs> than, I, than I thought I did. I, I apparently picked up way more from Osmosis. But the thing about, the thing about a Smallville was that it was meant to be a grounded, a grounded, character-driven take on superhero drama just because they could afford it. And also because it, it seemed to at least power some amount of storytelling for them. Yeah, and Smallville really carried the superhero torch for such a long period of time that it ran through the the timing in the general world, including films, and mainly films, when superheroes really picked up in popularity. I mean, it started back in the early 2000s, ran until 2011. In that time, towards the end of that, it was roughly around 2008 when this really exploded. We've got Iron Man and The Dark Knight, which just turned everything on its head in 2008. Uh, I mean, before that, obviously, you had Spider-Man and a few more you know, comic book movies that were big and did good money and started to generate more of this. But, I mean, the stuff we're dealing with today very much focuses around those two movies. I mean, Iron Man is what started the Avengers, and now we're still dealing with all of that as well as many more Avengers. The Dark Knight has obviously become the template for how Warner Brothers and DC is going to make all of their movies, which is a stupid idea, but <laughs> it's still affecting us to this day. Um, and, I mean, that, that kind of... For me, it's hard for me to deal with that idea. It's mm. hard for me to come to grips with that because I see those two movies as almost the exception rather than the standard for the rule. Like it, it, it shouldn't. For me, it shouldn't have spawned off what it did. It should have just kind of been like, well, these were good. We can make more of them if they're that good, but we don't need to build so much around it. But 
Anyway, getting back to TV, there was also... What, Heroes came out roughly, like, 2009 for about three or four seasons? I believe so. Uh, gosh, I wish I, I wish I knew that off the top of my head. But Heroes, I think, I think Heroes was earlier. I think it was 2007. And with, with Heroes, what was really interesting was you saw, for the first time in a while, a network trying to create its own mythology around a show. And as a result... You know, it wasn't. It was clearly riffing on concepts from the X Men, from Batman, from Superman, that sort of thing. But it was trying to be its own un unlicensed thing and yeah. build its own mythology. Yeah, and I mean, what was interesting to me about Heroes, and, and wasn't quite the case with Smallville at the time, was that Heroes was very much capitalizing on the trend. Like it was trying to bring that world, that version of popularity that was happening in film over to TV in one way or another. They were building their own thing, which helped them with their budget, helped them with their, you know, capabilities at the time. But then since since even then, television's become so popular that they're investing so much more into it that they're able to show more things than they were before. I mean, that Supergirl trailer, one of the most surprising things to me about it was how much we saw her in her cape and tights, and that's mm -hmm. how far we've come since that wasn't allowed on the CW. And that means there's going to be action, that means there's going to be some sort of expense, whether it's CGI, which is highly likely, or, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat. I mean, it's either way, it's going to cost a little bit more than it did before, but they're willing to invest in it now. Mm-hmm. No, it's totally true, and I think Heroes, that, that is one thing about Heroes is that, you know, it, t it tried to take a character-driven, uh, it, it tried to take a character-driven approach to the superhero genre, and, you know, if, unfortunately, the characters themselves weren't able to support it, also ran into the writer's strike, which uh, helped, crippled it during its second season, but, yeah, the thing with Heroes, uh, you know, they tried to keep it as budget-conscious as possible, for what they were trying to do, and I, yeah, I think it's an interesting transition point. Well, I guess the bigger question for me in all of this isn't so much about what each show was individually trying to do. You can see that the business machinations of all this are, are very different for each individual product. Obviously, Marvel's stuff that they're doing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter are trying to build that Marvel Cinematic Universe, which fans seem to really love. The DC stuff seems to be very individual, you know, property-based. The network stuff is a whole different ballgame with what they're trying to do and how they're trying to incorporate it. Um, but for me, the question becomes more why. Like, why is this something that's succeeding on television? Why is it something that's succeeding so much now more than ever? Because it's not... None of it's new. It's older than time. I mean, it, it's been around since... Well, I don't even know when, but longer than you know, TV's been able to support it. Well, I mean, you can talk about like you know, we can get into we can get really highbrow here and start talking about Joseph Campbell and the monomyth and all that stuff. I think what I think what it comes down to is it, there's something uh, a comic book writer named Warren Ellis who's amazing. He's written some incredible stuff. He once uh, had some quote. I'm going to paraphrase it about how. <clears throat> To look at the art form of comics and say it's all superheroes is to like go into a bookstore and expect to only see nurse books, like only books about nurses. And you know, it's a, it's a, and I think in terms of how that applies to television and superheroes on it today, you know, it's not. I think there, what, we, what, what things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what DC have taught us is that. 
within the genre, within something that we would call a superhero story, there's incredible range of genre possible. And you have, you can basically, you know, the fact that CBS and Fox feel pretty comfortable at this point with pairing, with basically their matchup between Supergirl and Gotham shows how different those shows are, despite the fact that we would both, we would technically call them both superhero shows, or at least shows based on comic books. But, uh, you know, this is something uh, when I interviewed Stephen DeKnight, who was the showrunner for the first season of Daredevil on F- on not FX, geez, Louise, on Netflix. They have both end with an X. It's fine. Right. Uh, but when he, you know, his his approach to it was, you know, there's there's no such thing as too many superhero shows. There's too many superhero shows of the same kind. Maybe uh, his approach was, I'm going to try to make a superhero show that's kind of like The Wire. And it's you know, and it fits really well with like the the source material of Daredevil, and it became a really interesting and unique show within the Marvel universe. And it's actually really exciting to see how that trend continues with the other Netflix shows that they're going to do, because they are going to be aimed at a slightly older audience. They are going to be aiming at a slightly different tone, and it's just going to show the increased diversity possible. Well, I I wouldn't argue against any of that, and as somebody who grew up reading comic books at least to some degree I can appreciate the different stories that are out there and the different characters I mean in a way that DC Entertainment is unable to do considering they think everyone's Batman and they're just going to try to turn him into that but I guess my larger question still isn't that are they capable of making different kinds of superhero shows and why each superhero shows appeals to people it's why do they need the brand whatsoever why do they need to have a cape and tights on somebody to sell a romantic comedy on CBS. Why do they need to have, uh, you know, a blind guy, a blind lawyer who dons a mask at night to tell a new version of The Wire? Like, I mean, I guess why are people all of a sudden responding to this so strongly that there's this much demand for? It? I mean, there's there's going to be a superhero show on every network at this rate. There, there is a, actually broadcast-wise, uh, Fox has Gotham, CBS has a uh, Supergirl. ABC has Agents of Shield and Agent Carter, and ABC is going to get Heroes back. Yeah, yeah. Every broadcast network, and not even like half the lineup at the CW at this point involves superheroes. Oh, yeah. So, no, it's. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, aside from the basic fact of people seem to like it right now, so we'll run this trend into the ground until no one's watching anymore, and then we'll wait another couple of decades and we'll bring it back again. Aside from that slightly cynical point of view, I would say there is something about the the iconography of superheroes that becomes really interesting, like, to people, and it... You know, you it, it feels it it becomes a simple idea that commu- a costume becomes a simple idea that communicates easily for a narrative, and I think that's what it comes down to in the long run. It's an interesting point. It's something that I can definitely relate to on some level, and I'd always the narrative always made more sense to me when I was looking at film. It always made perfect sense that that once you know we had our recession in you know two thousand seven two thousand nine that we needed to have like a bigger idea to latch on to to save us you needed a hero to save us like spider-man said which was before that hit but uh you know the iron man and the batman storylines just were perfect for that time they hit the zeitgeist at the exact right moment and their longevity has just kind of shocked me and then their transition into television is even more surprising just 
not that they can afford it now because it's clear that they can it's more just the demand seems to be surprising to me well i think here's i think here's what i what what i think is really interesting about it is i think it ties into one of the factors in general that's made television such a vibrant and exciting time right now it's that there's an increased sophistication amongst the audience to understand more complex characters and that's why the thing is we're not seeing I'm going to use Iron Man as an example even though it's film the Iron Man the character of Iron Man as seen in the second Avengers movie like it or dislike it has evolved dramatically since the original 2008 film and you know that's a sort of that's there's a sort of evolution there that you can track and i think that's a sort of narr- that's a sort of complexity that people are much more capable of understanding on a film by film basis or a episode by episode basis yeah it it reminds me of something i wrote about not that long ago about how tv is kind of turning into the new film franchise where we don't have an ending, but this this is a slightly different take on it. Maybe those Marvel films and their interconnectivity and how long they stretched for just proved that you could do it on TV because that's what TV had already, already been doing. Yeah. If you have you know three Iron Mans, two Avengers, Iron Man showing up in a couple other movies, and it takes up how many hours now? I mean, at least 10 to 12 of the films? Yeah, the films of Iron Man that he's been in. Uh, the, just the character of Iron Man? Yeah, it's, you know... That's a season. That's a whole season of TV. And if you can scale the story down to something that's not a $250 million project, then you've got something. That's not that hard to do. Yeah. Especially if you're talking about, you know, again, a blind lawyer who dons a very simple mask at night, or you're telling the origin story of Batman based around police officers rather than, you know, having the cape crusader fly through the night. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Obviously, he doesn't fly. Don't come after me for saying Batman flies. He flies in his bat jet. He, yes, that's true, in his bat jet. I knew very, that. Very cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting evolution. I'm wondering when it will reach its tipping point, and it very much felt to me like it did with that DC Legends of Tomorrow trailer. You shut up about it. Uh, it was awesome. It, God. Was, it was awesome. And, Time and, travel. And it was already awesome, and then Arthur Darville from Doctor Who came in to remind us, to tell, tell us that they needed to travel through time. How did that not... Oh, I, 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 that maybe shorted my brain out a little bit. That was incredible. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to fangirl a bit here, but this is it's it's it was a, it was it was a it was a great moment for someone who'd been following the shows that it, that that this is given birth from, is given birth has has been given birth from. I don't know if that's grammatically correct at all. Liz is a little flustered, guys. But you have to understand, she's she's into this. Like this is this is a I, big I, payoff I, for her, and they're I mean. They're doing well. Yeah, they're making I mean, good shows. I think, and I mean, the thing is, like, there the complexity of storytelling of the superhero genre can't really be underestimated. You and I just discovered this afternoon that we both really loved the show Misfits, yeah. which was a British show ITV on on ITV that is available. It hopefully is still available on Hulu. It was actually a pretty early acquisition for them. Yeah. But it's a great show. The first two seasons are pretty much flawless, and it's just. What if a bunch of cranky, you know, misbehaving teenagers got superpowers and just continued to act like cranky, misbehaving teenagers? Yeah, uh, it's fun. Yeah, it's a great. It's deep. Yeah, it's got a lot of depth to it, which is very interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely worth checking out. And they pulled uh, up some great actors for it too. Oh well, they discovered some great actors. Yeah. You know, we've got uh, Robert Sheehan's like incre- getting increasingly more interesting work. Uh, 
uh, Ewan, I, I, I cannot say his name, Ewan Rehum. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah, do it either. Yeah, uh, but he, he, the guy who plays Hot Simon on yeah. The Misfits uh, is now being very creepy on Game of Thrones. That made me sad, but... Yes, yeah. Oh, Simon. He was great. They're also trying to make that, or at least, I don't know if they still are. I, I need to look this up. We'll confirm it in the show notes for this write-up, but... Uh, they were at some point trying to make a network version of the show. I think Josh Schwartz was on, involved was with that. He was involved with that, yeah. which I love Josh Schwartz. I would watch just about anything he'd make. I mean, he did the OC. What else do you need to know? But uh, I really hope that they don't do that. I'm very worried about it coming to network. Um, I don't think it would play, and I think my guess is that it's a pretty dormant project at this point. But, you know, you can watch the original show on Hulu, so do that instead. Absolutely. And while you're at it, Liz, why don't you give them something else to watch on Hulu? Because you watched something recently that you enjoyed, didn't you? On Hulu? I don't know. I just was trying to make a good transition. A good transition? Uh, why would we have one of those? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is time for uh, this, this week's uh, last... Uh, um, best thing, next thing, uh, as I guess we're calling it. Uh, so, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, the best thing? Well, that's a lie. I, I, I watched something last week in the hopes that it would produce a good article. Maybe not the best article that I've written in a week, but a good article. And it, it didn't really pan out. We you- tried a few approaches... But, uh, but you, you watch something for science, and science is thankful to you. I hope they are. I watched the Revenge series finale, and I've never watched Revenge before. So, Ben, can you tell us what happened? Uh, spoiler alert for the end of Revenge. Ben, what happened at the end of Revenge? Okay, I'm going to try to condense this because we're, we're already at 20-some minutes right now. Yes. And I could take a good 15 to go through all of it. Right. But basically what happened is... The blonde girl who was in prison was broken out of prison by her billionaire buddy in a really easy way, because it's easy to break out of prison. He's a billionaire who knows tech computers. Yeah, but he didn't buy anybody off. Oh, I'm getting distracted. (laughs) He got her out. She solved a crime that the cops couldn't solve by using her vision to see blood on the floor. Wait. What? She has... Does does she have superpowers? No, she had normal vision, but the cops don't have it, apparently, because the scene was literally her looking to the side, and there was blood on the floor, and she was like, huh, there's blood here. And they're like, what do you think that is? <laughs> she was like, it's blood. And they were like, oh, it is blood. That means they committed the murder here. So they got convinced that the lady was alive somehow, and this is the villain of the show. She's, she's Madeline Stowe. Madeline from... Stowe, who's great. Um, but she was alive, and she faked her death, and she went to her own funeral, and then she was confronted by one of her daughters, I think. I'm not sure. But in the end, what happened was the blonde lady walked up to Madeline Stowe and was like, I'm going to take my revenge on you. And Madeline Stowe was like... <laughs> did she actually say, oh, I'm no, going to take not. my revenge on you? No, she didn't. Damn but it. She she had this really great, and by great I mean terrible, walk-up where she was in shadow and then she walked into the light <laughs> as like a big reveal that she was in the room and had found her. And we all knew she had already found She found her like 15 minutes ago. I don't know what the point was. <laughs> so anyway... She was going to shoot her in the face because of something that happened to do with her being in prison and other problems. Sure. Um, And the person that Madeline still killed. But uh, her dad showed up in the last second and shot Madeline Stowe for her. 
and then Madeline Stowe on the ground after we thought she was dead shot the blonde lady and I was like oh everybody dies at the end of Revenge that's pretty fitting but no the blonde lady survived and her dad didn't go to prison because he was dying anyway there you go that's so, just that's just you know the way it, that justice works right 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 she they had compassionate release or something I believe they referred to it oh as. really um so then the blonde lady said goodbye to her dad and she married some dude who was friends with the billionaires that she was with something happy ending blonde lady wins Revenge. She's she got her revenge. Got her revenge. Hooray! Yeah. So that's the best thing Ben saw last week. That's the, that was better than Mad Men. It was one of the things I saw last week. <laughs> it was it was a hour of television he watched. Mm-hmm. Science appreciates it. So Liz, what about you? What did you watch that was the best of last week? I <laughs> I was also kicking it old school and network. I've been uh, rewatching uh, season one of The Good Wife after a lot of commentary and a lot of after a lot of commentary and discussion regarding the season finale, which uh, just aired last week. And it's been, it's, it's, you know, the thing with The Good Wife is it's pretty straight down the middle procedural, but it does have a lot of great dramatic threads running alongside the procedural elements. And also the characters do really pop when they're given the opportunity. It's, and it has easily one of the best casts of any television show including like especially when it comes to guest stars because it's just like hey Jeffrey Tambor you want to put on a black robe earn $50,000 and all you have to do is sit behind a desk and say your emotion is overruled Jeffrey Tambor it turns out it's like yeah sounds great that's clever I'll do a couple episodes of that and they also shoot in New York so they get great people out anyways that's my this is my this is my good wife ramble if you ever walk up to me on the street and ask me hey Liz what do you think of the good wife you will probably hear a near perfect replica of that last minute of me talking look forward to it make sure to remember that if you meet Liz ask about the good wife I will just ramble like that exactly and we yeah I'm sh- I hope. God damn it. Otherwise, I'm just annoying people left and right any- these days. No, no uh, one's holding a gun to their head. <laughs> point is, point is, Good Wife uh, seasons one through six are on Amazon, and yeah, the show or the show definitely, definitely was at its height in its earlier seasons. Like I think this season six has been fairly critiqued for not being very strong and having a lot of issues. Uh, it's not as there, there have been worse seasons, I would argue, but this one hasn't been great. However, the first couple of seasons are pretty, pretty tight. And that, I'm saying that about a show that's 22 episodes uh, a season. So, that's yeah. their big Emmys argument, is that they make so much more drama, so much better than everybody else, so give us an award. Yeah. So, yeah. fair fight. If you can talk, if, if you can, if you have the patience for the procedure element, I, I would say Good Wife. Good Wife deserves your time, especially in these slightly slower, slightly quieter summer days. So, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? The next thing I'm looking forward to is kind of a cheat, but I just finished Grace and Frankie, which I know we've talked about at least three times already on this podcast. So I'll keep this brief. I very much enjoyed Grace and Frankie. I didn't think that I would. Uh, there's definitely flaws. But it is a very thorough depiction of what it wants to depict. And it's honest, and it hits home, and other, you know, pull quotes that you can throw on a poster 
Yeah. Very much enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to season two in the hopes that they greenlight season two soon. Yeah, we were doing the math on it, and Grace and Frankly right now is not. It's, this isn't the longest wait that a Netflix show has had to get a second season, but it is pretty significant that there we we are still waiting to hear if, if there will be a season two. Um, I also really like the end of the first season, and I think the the big thing with the end of the first season is. It did not end in a place I thought it was going to when I first started watching. I think I had a expectation of what that last episode was going to be, and instead they ended, basically ended the show earlier in the predictable in the predictable storyline than I thought they were. And yeah, I think uh, if 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 Grace and Frankie doesn't get a season two, it will be pretty disappointing. Absolutely, and when they do greenlight that season two, please remember to pay Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin more than their male co-stars who don't appear in nearly as much television. And merely, merely as much on screen in this ep- in these episodes. Yeah, they're not in some episodes, so let's just yeah. make sure to correct that mistake. I mean, I yeah, that is a fair concern. Uh, all, all four of those people have been, you know, massive stars for decades, but yeah, that, that pay discrepancy is not very cool. But yep. Liz, what are you looking forward to? Well, I know, I had, I wanted to, I had one final thought about Grace and Frankie. I have a prediction. Mm. I'm gonna, and this is a sad prediction for me, but I'm just gonna throw it out there. Netflix announces season two, Netflix also announces that season two will be the last season. We don't have to bet a sandwich on it or anything. I'm just saying I'm predicting this. All right. We'll see if it comes true. I hope it doesn't, and I hope it's not like a six-episode runoff, too. But, uh... Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. So what am I looking forward to? Right. I was having a conversation last night with some people that reminded me that I am pretty excited about Hannibal returning, and I should probably actually start rewatching the first two seasons so that I'm fully excited about Hannibal but I, we've seen, we've gotten, we've been getting some more tastes of the show and what what they've got planned for it. Do you see how I said tastes there? Oh, oh, hey, oh. Just that's just the beginning of what you can come to expect from IndieWire's Hannibal co- coverage. Many puns as the show makes. As many. <laughs> there is some great comic I think I saw where it was just like a picture of, you know, like Hannibal making some food-related pun or food slash cannibal realism food slash cannibalism related pun and then just thinking to himself good one Hannibal um, I mean I can see it in their eyes when Mads Mikkelsen winks at the screen it's pretty evident yes so the thing see we've ta- already talked about season 3 and how it's looking pretty it's looking pretty exciting uh, we talked about that during our summer preview Julian Anderson you're the one who mentioned her not me I mean I, that's the only thing I remember talking about being excited for. I mean, obviously, we're excited for the show in general, but the reason to be really excited for season three is Jillian Anderson. So. I mean, we do have a small appreciation for her here in the IndieWire offices. Uh, just a small one. So, anyways, uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, anything else you want to mention? I don't think so, but we should make note that you are on Twitter, and your Twitter at tag is at Lizlet on Twitter. That is correct. With an I and an E. Yes, I've got all these letters. So many letters in my name. And Ben, you might be found at Ben T. Travers. I kind of like the T because it makes me think of James T. Kirk. 
Uh, but you are at Ben T. Travers on Twitter as well. And you can find both of us writing about television, hopefully just the right amount, not too much, not too little, just the right amount at IndieWire.com. You can also find other important coverage there of all your favorite things. Uh, a lot of cans stuff going on right now if you care about cans stuff. Uh, there's, uh, we've got our guys out there uh, fighting the good fight in France, uh, including uh, our friends, uh, our friends, at the, our neighbor, our sister podcast, Screen Talk. Yeah, give them a listen. Ann Thompson, Eric Cohn. Yes, doing great work. Doing great work. Bash there. and Sea of Trees, loving Mad Max. Yep, uh, Mad Max, good times. Uh, anyway, so that wraps it up for this week. Uh, we're going to take Memorial Day off. Sorry about that. I feel like, feel like we've. I feel like you're going to be okay, though. You're going to get through it. Go to a barbecue. Go see Mad Max for the third time. That sort of thing. And then we'll be back first week of June to talk about yet more television. So until then, keep watching it. <laughs>